0: Following is a production of Dirty mo Media. Hey everybody, back again for another episode of the Dale Jr. Download. And if you're a first-time listener, um <laughs> we have a lot of other people on this show besides me. Mike Davis, co-host. Hey Mike. How are you doing? Doing well, man. That's you? Mike's voice. Hey. Okay. So when you hear that voice, that's Mike. Matthew Dillner is our um producer. That cackles. Um, And that's his voice. So when you hear that voice, that's Matthew. And then uh, Leah. Leah Vaughn is our social media expert. And she's a whole lot more than that. But she gets us through the Ask Juniors uh, as well, helping us with questions and so forth. Just um, such a great crew. Hello.
1: This is is my voice. There's Leah.
0: So, you know, obviously she sounds much different than the rest of us. Um, And so pretty easy to distinguish between the four guests on the show. There you go. And uh, again, if you're a first time listener, there I'm introducing you to everyone, and I hope you uh, hope you can keep track of all that. <laughs> this week we got part two of the Mark Martin interview. Usually we try to think, you know, hey man, we're going to bring these people in, and uh, we're not, you know, we're not going to do it all. We're just going to get uh, a little bit of their life and then bring them back again in the future because you know we want this show to be around for a long time. We don't want to use up all the great content of a guest like Mark Martin, but. We let him run. <laughs> and we got a lot of great stuff. We cut the show into two parts, part two coming up. Um, so that's what you're going to hear today, but so much more. We're going to drop the gloves on some NASCAR topics. Ah. And um, some of the things we've been texting back and forth about, communicating in our chat. Uh, we're going to talk about all that stuff. Um, we got a great Ask Junior Live coming up. So, man, let's get started.
2: And the green flag flies. And the
0: green flag flies. flies. Dirty movie. There are a lot of topics that we want to talk about uh, today. We're going to talk about some of those in this open segment. We're also going to talk about um, a lot more of those. They were very popular questions for the Ask Junior segment, so we're going to wait on that. They're, they're moving the numbers uh, on the for car. the All-Star cars, yep. uh, for the All-Star race. They're moving the numbers back. Uh, that was a popular question for Ask Junior. We're going to, we're going to save that conversation. But they're also doing something uh, else. There, there's underglow. Yeah. Uh, yeah 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 so that's been around for for decades uh when i was uh cruising around as a kid uh in Canapolis concord uh around the mall and so forth <laughs> uh you saw a little underglow on some cars <laughs> and um so on yours no i never no. i never did install that on anything that that i owned i never owned a car that it would have worked you know, I never had a car that you know I had pickup trucks or uh, a six, you know, '67 Camaro or something like that. And underglow just underglow's more of a modern, sporty sort of right. It, it it's not for every car. Right. So anyhow, I haven't really dove into. Uh, I haven't really called up anybody to ask them exactly how this all went down. All right, I'm just using rumors, hearsay, and. uh Social media, so no. a very toxic combination. Well, consistent
3: uh, with the way everybody disseminates yeah. information everywhere right. else. So, so yeah.
0: that's how I'm gonna. That's how I'm gonna approach this conversation, and we'll see if it's not a train wreck. It will be, but let's try. All right. So <laughs> the um, the, you know the movement of the numbers. We'll talk about that later. Uh, but they're also going to have underglow, and and the cars are going to be lit. Obviously, uh, and and we saw this. Um, Not for the first time, but we saw this done really well, most recently, during the burnout uh, on the boulevard in Nashville. Let's take uh, Kurt Busch, for example. And and Kyle Larson's car was also done uh, like this. And they look really good. I think the bottoms were lit. Also, the interior might have been lit up a little bit as well. What I loved about that was, uh, you know, they were different than the other cars. All right? Not every car was like this. And they used the colors that, you know, match the car. Kurt had, you know, the green monster color coming out yeah, from under yeah, his that, car. that
3: neon green. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And it looked really cool. And, uh, you know, if you're going to do a burnout, there's going to be a lot of smoke. That light really hits that smoke really well. Um, it was just a really cool additional effect. Perfectly done. Well, that has, um, that's, that's what has steamrolled into this idea. Here to use it in a race. And uh, now it might not look quite as good as it looked during the burnout um, because there won't be a continuous burnout during the race for that you know, light to hit that smoke. But when the winner wins the race, if his car is uh, underlit, you're going to see some smoke and some neon and all that good stuff. So that, that'll be pretty cool. Um, I guess the one thing that I don't know that I'm a little curious about is the, the, the colors all right, that they're going to use. I've heard, and I don't know if you guys have any other knowledge that they're using specific colors to the manufacturers. So the Fords will be blue, and the Chevys will be uh, amber, uh, and the Toyotas, I'm assuming, maybe yellow. I don't know. I have not heard maybe red about
3: the Toyotas. But but do we know for sure that they are uh, maybe they are doing aren't the all... manufacturer specific colors? So be... that's what
0: we have yeah, heard. That's what we've heard. Um, and so let's uh, let's if that's the case. And maybe I don't even know if all of them are doing it. We haven't really seen any any content on social media with any of these cars kind of lit up, maybe outside their shop or in the shop mm. at night, or mm-hmm. you know, just something you know, fun that you know, some of these race teams might think would be cool content. They haven't put that out, so we don't know what any of this looks like right now. We don't know what the Fords of uh, you know Penske or or Stewart Haas look like if if they all have that blue underglow. This is the only. Sort of problem I have, and we debated this pretty good uh, this week amongst ourselves. All right, remember when um, you know you made the playoffs back when, back in the Sprint days? Yep. And Sprint would put this yellow stripe on the bottom of the front of your car, and then it put a yellow spoiler on the back of your car.
3: Yes, to, to all the playoff or chase drivers that if they, you were in the hunt for it. You had a yellow spoiler. Yes, I remember that. Yeah,
0: and then when Monster came, it was green. Yep, I, I was a, uh, I hated that. Mm-hmm. Didn't like it. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. And why is that? Well, I uh, you know I I put a lot of uh, input into my own paint schemes, and when I design a car, whether it's me, if I design the car, I don't care if I'm the driver, the sponsor. I've I've that's the design that I have uh you know, that's the design that I've created. And it really pissed me off when the you know, the governing body, the ruling body would cater to uh, you know, that title sponsor and allow them to do things with that car.
3: Mess with your paint scheme yeah. but more or less.
0: You know, they put the yellow splitter on or a big paint, you know, a big stripe of yellow across the nose and the and the yellow spoiler. I think the roof number might have been yellow at one time. Mm. I can't really I can't really remember all the different things they did. That always annoyed the hell out of me because yeah, it you know, if it was if you had yellow in your scheme, uh it might work. It might not be too much of a you know, it might not mess up your scheme too bad. But sometimes it really ruined the paint scheme. It just kinda looked bad. It didn't look good.
3: Like on a Budweiser car, for instance.
0: Yeah, it might not look that great.
3: <laughs> when it yeah, when there's no yellow in so, it.
0: So that always annoyed the hell out of me and it was like this it, it was another one of the things like you didn't you, you had no control over it. You felt like that there was only a few things that you can control and that was okay, I could I could I could have some input on the design of my car, I can set it up, I can I can decide, you know, how well it runs or whatever. But otherwise there's you know, there's a giant rule book in front of me that I have to adhere to and um, you know, you can't get too creative outside of that and then they would kind of infringe into the into your paint scheme, which is sort of your your creative input.
3: I don't think you're you're giving yourself enough gravity into how important you
0: consider I don't paint don't can... There's
3: there's like there's there's your kid, your wife, and your paint scheme in Dale Junior's world in his list of priorities, right? Uh, because <laughs> it, the things that I used to just I it used to entertain us how Dale Junior's priorities were always paint scheme first, and then like contract second you know or something like that you know whatever that's what's important to him and so while you you, i'm just trying to help the listeners uh, especially you first time listeners and this is mike talking that (laughs) that that you got to understand where dale's coming from like paint scheme even the thing you don't even notice like the pinstripe that little bitty pinstripe dale jr would sit there and move heaven and earth to get that changed if it wasn't exactly right so
0: that's absolutely right, and I don't know why that's not as important to, to more people. <laughs> I really don't. Right, you're, driving, you're driving a race car, and look at this table. Look at all the different designs on this table. It mm-hmm. was important to somebody because they all probably put a lot of thought and effort into the way those cars all looked, right? Uh, how come it's not as—I mean, maybe it is, but I, I don't understand if it's, if it's not as important to the driver, You know, when a guy walks up to get in a car to race it, and he's going to race this car all year, or he's going to try to accomplish something extremely important and incredible in his life, uh, the way this car looks, I I feel, should be important uh, to the the driver. Some don't care, and that's okay. You know, it's Mm -hmm. it's, um, it's not a right or wrong kind of thing. I just never understood how come the paint scheme and the way your car looked and how it's designed is not as important. Uh, to some as it is others. Yeah, the paint scheme to me was everything. I grew up idolizing racing NASCAR, and paint schemes are are right into the middle of that mix with the personality of the driver. So with that said, I always was annoyed, you know, when they would twist my, do something to the paint scheme that ruined it. And so with this underglow, I guess I'm worried or curious, not worried. I don't care if it screws up somebody's paint scheme, whatever. It's not, not going to affect my life, but right. when I when I when I hear that you know the manufacturers are going to use a particular color for all their cars, it might not look great under some of these cars because the color doesn't match the scheme or, or it's completely con- contradictory to the st- to the scheme, and and that's unfortunate, you know. So maybe maybe I'm making a big deal out of nothing. More than likely, that's a good chance, but. I'm going to be paying close attention to it.
3: So you're leaving yourself room to be uh, to be okay with it. Then it sounds like if it doesn't, you're going to. I'm I'm
0: a little worried that this is another one of them things like that yellow spoiler or like that you know that sprint yellow stripe across the nose or those. I'm worried that this is another episode of that or another example of that where maybe that Ford blue glow doesn't work under every Ford. Maybe. It would be cool if NASCAR does this in the future if they just let the teams choose the color that they want to run, right? Um, but you're
2: good with the experiment? You think the well, neon I'm just, lights – like, like
0: I the, know you're. Your oh, point. I'm completely clear and good with the experiment. Really? Well, this is why.
3: This is – and you're about this to get into the This is what I want to know. Yeah. It's I, the all-star
0: yeah. race. I'm not – they're not okay. doing this in the Daytona 500. They're not doing – the all-star race to me is – it's lost its identity – Um, It's become stale. We've talked about moving it forever. We're going to finally see it at Bristol. We should be thanking our lucky stars. Thank you. And be totally okay with a little underglow under the race cars. Really? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And let me tell you what it
3: feels like to me. If you've been dying for that Christmas present all your life and you finally get it and then you complain about the wrapping paper, yeah. That's what this we got a All-Star race at Bristol. Yes, but so why so muddy I, it up with
2: damn neon?
0: Cuz it's, it's not a,
3: because the All-Star race is a carnival ride it's already. N-
0: it's all, it's not uh it's, it's not a tradition. The All-Star race to me is not a tradition. Okay. That's fine. Um it, it used to be but the format has changed yeah. to to where it's so many format <laughs> changes every year they tried to come up with a new way well, to make this race better and they've only made it worse all right trying to make it better at the same track they they just yeah. fixed every i th- the the format that is the best format is the only format and that's 1987 <laughs> all right and it has a lot to, it has more to do with the cars and the personalities and what was on the line and their determination to 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 go out there and get it that's all plays a big part into why that race was so fantastic but what my point is is that no format is going to save that race, no amount of laps for segment. There's no nope. magic number. All right, mm. go back to the original format. Stop fooling around with that. Yes, and just have the race. And well, th- 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 you're proving my point then. Well, no, I'm not proving your point. So there, <laughs> we with everything going on in the world, this thing got to you know the thing gets finally taken to Bristol, which everybody was was wanting or asking for. Go somewhere, anywhere. Bristol? Hell yes. Um, that's a great place. Probably probably at the top of most everybody's list if they were going to move the All-Star Race. Mm-hmm. It doesn't bother me that they're going to put a little underglow under the cars. I just wish they would allow the teams to choose the color so that it would look as good as it did at the burnout on the boulevard. When Kurt Bush had green, okay, that was pretty cool. Now, will that monster car look as good with amber glow underneath it? Probably <laughs> no. not. I could probably be confident in saying that it's not going to look as good. Is it going to look as good in a well-lit concrete racetrack on that surface? I don't know. I don't know how that's going to show up. Probably not as good. Not as good as down on the boulevard in the dimly lit streets of Nashville. Um so it's 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 a I like the effort. They're trying. They got to evolve. They got to change. This doesn't bother me because it's not a it's not a Daytona 500 race. It's not a. It's not in the. It's not throughout the entire playoffs. We should be thankful that this is, is not that a, next. Yeah, let's be let's be hopeful that this isn't something that comes into every single playoff. It's gonna be on a fan survey or the or, or yeah, you know
3: or well, Matthew. Why don't you? We got to give you your chance to. Explain in detail what it is you have a problem with. Though. I don't like it. I mean, just don't, okay. uh, I, I just don't That's like it. Detail. And, and <laughs> hey, I could be
2: wrong, and I appreciate the fact that you, you're you good with change, and I'm mm-hmm. good with some changes, too. I was wrong about the playoffs when yeah. it first came out. They're awesome. But we talk so much out of this side of our mouth that um, we've changed too much, yeah. maybe, in the sport over the years. And the first thing we do when we get what we want, like going to Bristol or whatever and, and trying something – Let's do something that's completely out of our identity with these lights. Yeah. To me, it's like the glowing puck when they experimented with it in, in the NHL. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean I mean if I want to see frigging neon lights under cars, I'll sit down with Hudson, who's four, and watch Jackson Storm on cars. Yeah. It's not it's to me it's like we're we're stock car racing. Let's let's not neon it all up. Let's just have a badass race. I love and be done it. with I, it. I,
0: your, I think your argument is is well intended and you got some great points there but like you you just you you talk about your son and watching right the cars movie you know that's our that's our that's our future audience if he likes underglow and he sees this race on TV and goes oh just like the cars movie dad i love it you know that's that's engaged him and uh and that's what we really need i mean we got to we gotta, we got to we can create new fans it's really hard to create i think a fan that's already, you know, 20, 25 years old and hasn't been a fan of motorsports, it's hard to reel them in. But you want to get that four or five year old kid who's super impressionable, uh, tuned into racing, um, when he sees the real thing that he's been watching in a cartoon uh, in real life. You Let's know, let put
2: some eyes on the cars then. All right. Well, yeah, but you know what he's saying. I, I, I think, get what I you're think, saying. I think
3: Hudson would think I it's do. cool. Um, I, I, I think you. I think your son would think it's yeah. cool, and I, I don't think have a problem with it. I just cool.
0: wish they would have let the teams choose the color. Jimmy Johnson's yeah. car, for example, purple underglow under that forty-eight with the purple accents on the body that would look the best. Yeah, amber, man. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how it's going to look on purple, black, and all that going on.
3: See, I'm sort of also uh, on the you, flip Mike? side. Well, uh, look, I'm on the side of listen. We got the all-star race at Bristol. These are the things that y'all, we what we're talking about right now, aren't aren't affecting my day. Like I when I saw it, I'm like, well that's cool. It's yeah. for the All-Star race. Awesome. I haven't I got to be honest with you. Call me what you want, but all of the changes I've seen that NASCAR's made in the past several weeks on these things, like, you know, even the numbers, like as we looked at the paint schemes, I was like, I think I kind of like it. I think I like it. I mean, like I haven't had a bad feeling yet about things. Now, by the they way, gotta... I haven't been on social media because, like, you know, I, I've been away and I didn't have much service. I have no idea what the popular opinion is. Or Nobody unpopular really opinion.
0: has one yet because there's no because we haven't seen a race. See Oh yeah, what? I
3: got you. I got you. But we have seen paint schemes.
0: Yes. Yeah. And we're going to talk about those in ask but,
3: but. But like, I, I think w- I want to give it a shot, and rather than worry about things that might be wrong with it, I think that we've got to e- either we've got to embrace a new vision for NASCAR and be willing to make mistakes, and this underglow could be a mistake. Yeah. But we're not going to know until it's been on a racetrack, and I don't think there's this a better point. race out there than the All-Star Race to, to do this stuff. And I think that's what they've said, isn't it? They're like, look, we're going to experiment with the numbers, and we're going to experiment a with this. choose underglow. cone.
0: I like that. For the restarts where the choose cone. Is is right? a new, yeah, there's going to be a choose yes. cone for the restarts for the first time in Cup Series where, you know, as you're coming up to uh, – double up for the uh, the restart, you know, you can choose inside or outside line. So, maybe the first eight cars choose the inside line. Well, the guy in ninth gets to drive all the way up to the outside of the front row.
3: That's cool. Awesome. I, no, I didn't know that. That is so cool.
0: Now, that to me, so if, you know, those kind of things I'm excited about, I want that to work. I want that to be a positive. And so, you know, it's with, with that kind of goodness possible, I'm okay with this underglow and this this test i really don't want to see the underglow at all i don't know i don't i don't I don't want to see it every week maybe i just de- depends on how easy it is to see the cars when you're watching the race does the underglow sort of make it harder to see the, the car itself who it is all i don't know we're just gonna have to play this out i've got one question for
3: both of you on to, to on that topic how important is it to you to get manufacturer identity we talk so much about identity yeah, in these paint schemes point. This is a this is an attempt to re to kind of reinstill that manufacturer pride, and if so, is that not important to you guys? That is
0: that is, um, and a fan. I think the fan would say, well, the you know the carbine in the studio, uh, showroom floor doesn't have underglow, but I I think your point, Mike, is that we need to bring back in that sort of rivalry uh, distinction between manufacturers. The you know the 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 blue oval versus the Chevy bow tie uh, so to that it, you know that's this is a this is this is a positive possible way to do that and um, so the great point great point it's well, a good
3: point i, I remember what t- uh the toyota guy said recently after who was it the one martinsville was it denny there's Yet, a switch on the dash
0: true? too let let me oh. be sure that let you know there's a switch on the dash to control this light there is
3: what oh man i'd wow. have to go strobe Sweet. on that ass
0: yeah so uh, it's it's my knowledge uh, from a photo that I've seen of a car with the dash that the drivers control this light, huh? And and that's that's probably in everyone's best interest that it's not you know what if they turn them all on and we start to race and everybody's like I can't see a thing oh this guy's blinding me turn oh, off your brights turn- Cole yeah well you know maybe it's a disaster in all seriousness maybe it's a disaster and they need to they need to end the in the in the experiment, for the before, burnout. Yeah, <laughs> expend the in the experiment before it begins. That's a good. I've never heard that. That's awesome.
2: Yeah. And we are live.
0: Hey everybody, it's Dale Junior here for the Ask Junior portion of the Dale Junior Download Podcast, presented to you by Xfinity. They are a premier partner of NASCAR and your partner for fast internet. I'm a customer. I'm pretty happy about that. Uh, Leah is here today as she is every week, to help us with our questions. we got a lot of good ones, so I'm excited to get this started. So let's go ahead. All right, first
1: question coming in from Jeff Robinson. He wants to know what your thoughts on the paint schemes um, for the All-Star race that we've seen so far. And I do believe I have a um, graphic up on your screen of all of them that are out.
0: Okay. Um, Yeah, the the, uh, paint schemes are changing for the All-Star race this week, and the race is Wednesday. I've got a couple of sheets right here. Uh, they move the numbers back. If you know, if you've been under a rock, let me explain. They move, they slide. They're taking the numbers from the center door. They're sliding them back closer to the rear tires. They're going to open up a lot of space on the door for sponsors to go there. Uh, this is nothing new. This has been going on in our sport uh, it's, uh, as far back as I can remember, uh, even in the '70s with uh, with with different cars in the Xfinity series. What was the the Sportsman series back then? So. Um, you don't typically have you know see this in the in the Cup series or haven't seen it in the Cup series, but uh, this is also very prominent in uh, super late model stuff as far as dirt late model cars. So this isn't like that hard to wrap your brain around um, if it's done well. So uh, you know, looking at some of these cars, I got the Hendrick cars right here. Um, I would say that uh, the exalted decal on the door of William Byron's car is way too big. Um, I'd make that a little bit smaller that that those are some of the things that I'm gonna nitpick. I'm particular about decal or uh, uh I'm a particular about uh, uh, designs and uh always have been about paint schemes and so forth so these I'm just gonna kind of nitpick these things and the Chevy Goods decal on Alex Bowman's car is a little too small, and I think they did that intentionally because there's a sort of graphic weird stripe thing happening on his fender that I don't even know what that is. Um, yeah, I don't know what that little stripe is. I'd just get rid of that um, and make that Chevy goods a little bigger. Uh, the number size is also been something I've been critical about in some of these cars. Let's take a look at the, uh, the Chase Elliott car. Now, this one to me is, is, is really well done. Just really well done. I love everything about it. Uh, also, the, the Pitsky cars, to me, uh, they're, they're well done as well. Now, the, the numbers are a little small. They look a little small. I need to see this on the racetrack to be sure. But uh, the numbers are a little little puny.
3: And those are hard brand logos to fit in on that because yeah. the discount tire is so wide. And then on, on Logano's they're okay. trying to fit in Shell yes. and penzo.
0: On Logano's I would have had to went with one or the other, not both. Shell The Shell logo or the Penzoil logo. Maybe you could do Penzoil on one side, Shell on the other. Here is another, uh, another great car that I think they did a really good job with, and that's the number six, uh, Ryan Newman, Oscar Mayer. Uh, the six looks a little high to me. Yeah, it does. But, again, i got to see it on the racetrack. These are renders. These are in no way uh, a, an exact replica of what we're going to actually see on the racetrack, and sometimes these renders, they get them wrong. I think that, that six probably will not be that high. But that's, that's a pretty pretty good job. Also, we had the Stuart Haas cars. Again, their, their renders are a little bad as far as number placement. I don't believe that the numbers are going to be that high on those cars. Um, and I've seen this. These are the renders that they use uh, most of the time. These renders are coming from the die-cast manufacturers. Um, so they basically try to design They design the car. They, they give it to the die-cast manufacturers because they've got to make these things way ahead of time. And uh, the, di- the die-cast manufacturer's schemes always kind of screw or skew the numbers in the wrong locations a little bit. But here's an actual race car, all right, in the shop. This is Bubba Wallace, and uh, this little logo right here is his, uh, my, his main sponsor, which is that worldwide technology. The 43 uh, looks low, but that's because there's no side skirt on the car. I think once they install the side skirt, that that number placement is going to look really good. Uh, I think the number, again, could be a little bigger. I don't know that the number size has changed.
3: Oh, uh, yeah, not on that car.
0: Well, I don't know that it has on any of the cars. I think they've just slid them back. And as they have slid them back, yeah, it's made them appear smaller. But I don't think they've actually made the numbers smaller, uh, which is interesting. Here is a, uh, two really, really good. This is really good. Both of them, actually. I agree. Um, Christopher Bell, Matt Kenseth. Mm-hmm. Well done. Well done. Christopher's number size looks really good. Great, great sponsor uh, placement. Matt's car is really cool. Number's a little small for me, but that's because it has a white outline. Um, as far as I know, I think NASCAR might have a rule on the size of the number. Uh, and that white outline around that 42 on the door is probably a good size, but since it's white, we don't see it. Uh, we don't see a large portion of it, so it makes the number look mm. smaller because all we see is the black 42. Uh, but those two are really well done. Uh, two more cars, I think, are well done, and this is a uh, render where I believe the number placement's incorrect, but the um, the all car for Chris Busher, that 17, looks really good, really high, but hopefully as, uh, as we see the car on the track, they've got that in the right location. The 37 here, Energizer car. Ryan Priest, really well done. I like that one. And here's two two more. Well, we got all the Gibbs cars. I'm just going to say the Gibbs guys did a great job, except for, again, the numbers look small. I don't know that they're smaller than they originally were when they're in the door location, but to me they look small, particularly the 20. And uh, Daniel Suarez is down here, and I've seen his car in the shop. This is the actual car. Daniel's car looks great, and his number looks really big. But there's the Gibbs cars. You see those? Uh, another great job. I'm particular about paint schemes. That's why we're making such a big deal out of this.
3: Hold on. Look at this. There's something interesting about Kyle Bush's. His is sure. th- his does not have an actual logo. It look. It, it's just, it's the, just M&Ms. the paint scheme. So if there was something that might look weird or just off, it's because. The number just looks back, but there's nothing...
0: You know, I'm not seeing that. Okay. I, I'm not seeing... I, I know what you're saying, Mike, but yeah. I'm not seeing that. I, I think that since he has the m car, they are able to do this sort of creative, obvious... Uh, you know, it's obvious what his car is right, and right, the sponsorship right. is. I love that. Um, and actually, his number doesn't look as bad as maybe the 20 of Eric Jones. Yeah, the 20 looks This like... is a render again. I don't know if this is the... We're not The actual car may look a little different as far as the number size and so forth. But uh, Daniel Suarez, uh, his number's big. I saw this car getting wrapped on, some, uh, on a tweet uh, from the, the, the team itself, and I was like, oh, yes, they can make the numbers bigger. Uh, so there you go. There's going to be a lot more of these on the racetrack on Wednesday to look at, to talk about. Uh, let's talk about it. Why can't we debate it? Let's debate it. Uh, there's nothing wrong with a good, good healthy debate. Uh, NASCAR may be going in that direction in the future, so let's try to get it right um and and everybody giving giving some input all right leah what's the next question
1: next question um coming from mandy what was your take from this past friday night altercation after the race between noah graxon and Mm. harrison burton and have you got a chance to talk to noah about it
0: well i told Noah that i didn't have a problem with anything he did uh on the racetrack or off the racetrack uh noah races hard he's going to make mistakes and uh he got into the side of the 20 car it hurt them both Um, Noah was able to recover and was racing around there, trying to get a top five late in the race. You know, it's just these young kids are going to make mistakes and they're going to, they're going to, you know, they're not always going to do everything you want them to do on the racetrack. And you have to, as an owner, sort of season yourself for that. So when something like that happens or, you know, when Noah goes down in the corner and gets loose underneath somebody and and collects him and the next guy and they go up in the fence, you, you know, you can't, you're going to have to be ready for that to happen as an owner and, there's races where, you know, your drivers are going to make mistakes. There's races where all four cars are going to crash and have bad runs. Um, so you sort of got to be, you know, be ready for that and, and not let it really get under your skin. If you let that get under your skin, you're going to be busy every week trying to diffuse and, and, and you know, have somebody on you know at the table telling them what they should have done differently. As far as the fight itself, now, I don't know what was said, all right? I don't know what they're saying. But what I see is Harrison didn't give <laughs> didn't give him much choice. You know, he put his hands on him twice. At some point, you know, everybody's got their their breaking point to where, you know, they gotta say, hey, I gotta stand up for myself enough's enough. I can't let you continue to put your hands on me. So I didn't have a problem with anything happening there either. I'm glad it didn't blow up into anything big. Obviously I'm glad that um you know, the crew guys all didn't get thrown around and get into a big fight and get uh, get us into a big mess with NASCAR as far as suspensions and fines and so forth. Uh, NASCAR seems to not have a problem with anything else that went on. You know, so is what it is. I think at some point, you know, we all kind of, as drivers, I think, have to, you know, imagine what we would do in those situations, all right? A guy comes up to you and puts his hands on you. How far are you going to let that go, you know, before you have to you know, react physically to, to defend yourself or, Uh, if you let a guy do that, that bleeds over onto the racetrack, okay? If if you let him take advantage of you in the the heat of the moment, in a physical confrontation, he's going to do much more on the racetrack. He's going to use you up. Every time he's around you, he's going to take your line. He's going to force you offline. He's not going to care because he knows you're going to roll over. So Noah had to stand up for himself there, and I think he did a pretty good job of doing that. All right, Liam.
1: We're getting a ton of questions um, asking your thoughts on Tony Stewart and Ray Evernham's new racing series, SRX. Um, what do you know about it? Will you be racing in it?
0: I got no plans, um, and I don't know who they – I don't know that they've reached out to a lot of people to get real um, concrete confirmation on, you know, who wants to do it, who can do it. I don't know that there's a lot of information from the series as well as what their cars look like and where they're going to race and what the schedule is. So drivers aren't probably going to um, – yeah, you know, Tony might. Tony might make that commitment. He's part of the program, but um, a lot of drivers are going to wait for a little more information. I think before they could ever make a decision to do something like that. Uh, you know, they all have their own schedules as well as things are things they have going on. I'm broadcaster and and whatnot. So I would say my interest is not very high uh, until I learned a lot more about it. And um,
3: but what was your reaction as soon as you saw it? Like learned of oh, there's a new series coming. To Tony. I
0: I'll be honest with you. I rock series is is something that I've always thought was a great series. And uh, unfortunately, the financials for that didn't work out and they had to close that series. If this is anything like that, I, I love it. So I don't know whether it's all going to be le- you know, past legends, retired drivers, whether they may incorporate some of the guys that are currently racing. I don't know. Um, I don't know what that looks like. But uh, the IROC series, to me, was something that I think – it had it been able to sustain itself it was a it was a pretty impressive series because the guys all would come down there uh you know stock car guys indie car guys all types of different race car drivers would come into that series and their egos would force the egos would sort of manifest this real real competitive atmosphere so competitive and you know it it was that was really unique to the IROC Series. You didn't see that in, in other forms of motorsports where, you know, that, they, that competitiveness sort of spilled out on the racetrack and, and we had some really dramatic moments um, in the IROC Series. So I think fans love the IROC Series. I see them still talking about it today. Um, so if this is any, you know, sort of similar series to the IROC, I think it would be a good thing.
1: All right, last question um, coming from Michael Fitzgerald. I would like to know how Junior feels about his NFL team changing their name.
0: Yeah, I'm all for it. You know, this conversation has been going on for a really, really long time. And uh, if you're a Redskins fan like I am, uh, you certainly are aware of the debate over the nickname. And um, and I have learned in that conversation that this goes way back into the, into the 70s as far as when the media started sort of Writing articles about it, so this isn't nothing new, and it's certainly been more frequent over the last several years, uh, much more frequent. It you know you used to used to crop up every five years, now it's every seems like every year now. As a fan of the team, I'm excited about I'm excited about the change, and it's 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 something that only Redskins fans, I think, will know this. We haven't won a Super Bowl since 1991 the state of the franchise and its, its success, all those things sort of, they all play a role in this, in, in, in the emotion over this change and this decision. And I think for me personally, I'm ready for a new chapter. And I'm ready for this conversation to no longer be part of my experience as a fan of the team. And the debate over this and the frustration over it um, and how it affects the franchise. it's a dark cloud over it all the time you you know and it's not going away and and it's hard to continue to support the franchise when this is part of the conversation. So I'm great to sort of break completely clean and start an entirely new identity and future. Uh, I think it'll be great for the organization, the people that work in that, uh, company the players that play for that team anybody that plays for that team in the future so i'm i'm good with it you know i'm going to uh i don't really and I, there's been a lot of ideas that have been tossed around as far as names and i got friends of mine that are that are fans of the team that that want to uh you know wrap their brain around one low one 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 or the other and uh but i'm going to keep my i'm not going to sort of fall in love with one and I'm just going to wait. Cause nobody really knows what the name is going to be. And I don't want to, I don't want to really like one and find out that it's the other, you know? So I'm just going to kind of, you know, if I'm, I've invested in this franchise for, for decades and, and I want to continue that relationship. And so I'm going to be open-minded as to whatever it becomes and whatever it becomes, I'm going to like that. And that's what it's going to be. Um, so it's a, uh, it's gonna be uh, you know, it's gonna be a big, big change and it'll be interesting to see, you know, how all that continues to play out. But I think everybody's eager to know what the name is and, and it looks like that they're you know, we're gonna to have to be patient on that part. But um yeah. They've been talking about this for, for quite a while, Mike. So finally good that it's happening and, and we can move on.
3: Yeah, I'm sure it's exhausting. It, is. it <laughs> I, is. I I can I can appreciate that. I'm also glad to hear that you're not jumping ship. That that you're cuz you know, nothing is more annoying than people that say, I'm not going to be a fan of that team anymore because they didn't get their way on something. Yeah. All yeah. right. So that's that's how you're going to live, you know. Well. Yeah. Good luck. Well,
0: I'm uh, you know, I I don't I, I it's not that I I think leaving a team like that is is one thing, but then you gotta find another team, right? right? It's not just as easy as just, you know, walking out the door and saying, "All right, I'm done with this." But then you got to find another team. There, I don't, I don't, I don't have that. There's no nothing out there really has that appeal to me. And I know the history of this team so well. Uh, have you know players for this team have been idols for me. Uh, Art Monk, Daryl
3: Green, and that does not have to change, yeah, at and, all.
0: And it uh, yeah. And it won't, you know. So uh, it's a it's a pretty big deal, you know. And and I'm kind of excited about it. I'm looking forward to uh, the new artwork. Um, looking forward to how the fans sort of appreciate that and and take and make it their own. Uh, for example, um, you know, there's been red wolves is one of the ideas, and and fans are talking about the wolf pack and the wolf den and all this stuff, you know, sort of en- encompassing wolves. So. It's got, it's going to be fun to watch the the core fan base, the diehards, sort of make this their own, you know, program. Um, you know the team the teams had mass, You know the teams had sort of this like they had the hogs, right? This was an offensive line that was very mm-hmm. dominant, and 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 franchises do that. They 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 make their they give their arena a name. They 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 name. We had this wide receiver core that were called like the Funky Bunch or something. So. It'll be fun to watch them take this sort of change and and get creative with it and give it give it a real identity and some real personality. The other thing, too, is um, I think for players, I, I'm just – I hate to speak for anybody, but I can imagine as a player how exhausting this must be. Mm. If you're on this team year in and year out, you really want to have some passion, right, and some – you want to invest some passion and some emotion into what, what who you're playing for, and that logo and the colors and everything that the fan base represents, and it's it's a it's it's hard to do, under the circumstances. Mm. Um, so that'll no longer be sort of a hindrance to for the for the players of the team. Any future, you know, trying to get a free agent to come play, right, for this team it has to have that has to be a a, a hindrance, you know. So. I think it really opens us up to, to a, a better future as a, as a franchise, and um, I'm glad that it's happening.
1: All right, guys. That's all we have for today.
0: You have to be fast in our sport, and Xfinity, they know a thing or two about that. With Xfinity, get blazing fast Wi-Fi without any pit stops. Xfinity x X-Fi delivers the speed and the coverage and the security and the control that you need to stay connected to NASCAR all season long. This is beyond Wi-Fi. This is X5.
3: Keep your questions rolling in to at Xfinity Racing on Twitter using hashtag Ask Junior for a chance to have your questions answered by Dale Jr. himself.
0: Mike, we are extremely proud to partner with Xfinity, the premier partner of NASCAR. Last week, our guest was NASCAR Hall of Famer Mark Martin. The interview was so damn good, we didn't want to cut it down. Not at all. We wanted to share the entire thing. Mark opened up so much, and we got a peek inside his life and career from childhood to tough times and second chances. Before we get going to part two, let's get caught up on where we left off with NASCAR Hall of Famer Mark Martin. Mark Martin has
4: suddenly exploded into the top four. Martin had a great job. I race. That's what I do. You know, I won uh, you know, ASA three championships in a row. I've had I I race, man. I'm not gonna.
2: That's what I do. Previously on the Dale Jr. Download.
4: (laughs) I actually had a Chevy Blazer, and I drove to school at 14 and 15. That's crazy. My dad was. I mean, they should do a movie about my dad. He there's so many insane stories about him.
0: What was the family business?
4: Trucking company, and before I started racing, you know, I learned to drive a truck. Um, really early age. I'm going to say I was 12. He let me drive at night. He finally got brave enough to get out of the seats. And so I'm driving this thing and it's nighttime and I'm passing trucks and he reaches over and flips on the dome light so that the other driver can see that he's getting passed <laughs> by a little kid. <laughs>
3: You always seem to be the guy that didn't mind telling people what your setups were and helping with others. Have you ever told somebody, or have you ever misled them?
4: No, Rusty did, though. I was standing right with Rusty (laughs) Winsor. Well, my cup car had 600 pounds of lead in it. (laughs) Oh. Jake Elder, and I didn't know who he was, and he looks over in the car. You only got two gauges? I said, yeah, that's all you need. Water temperature and oil pressure. He said, you ain't got no tack? And I said, no, you don't need one. (laughs) How much lead you got in this car? So I lied and said 400 pounds. And he almost fell out. You know, Jake. Oh, yeah. 82 and 83 were devastating. Career losers and demolished and and, uh, took me from riding uh, high to completely on my knees. I didn't have any sponsorship. And... Uh, my crew chief at Daytona uh, got uh, inebriated the night before the 500 and didn't show up at the racetrack
0: my uh, Sunday
4: morning. So I was broke, and I, and I owed, heck, I owed Hutchison Pagan, I think, 50 grand. So we had to have an auction and sell everything I owned. I picked up my stuff and moved back to Wisconsin and started my career all over again. It was a very tough time in my career. Humbling, Dale, I would not be the person I am today had I not failed, because I was on such a roll before that for that 82 season, I, w- I was pretty full of myself. I was, uh, my shop was a pole barn without insulation in Indiana, Northern Indiana. The phone rang, it was a slimline phone on them dial phones. I'm standing there Answer the phone Hello Mark This is White L. Wilson like to see if you'd be interested In driving the 28 car Whoa And I said No I'd rather do my own deal <laughs> That was it That was it So I could have been In the 28 car At the Daytona 500 In 1982 Wow
0: but I uh, come downstairs, and Dad and Teresa and Mark Martin are in the basement. Uh, Dad had a pool table down there in the TV, and y'all were watching your races, your ASA races.
4: Yes, that that was January 1982 is when oh, that wow. was. And I was in the Bush Clash, and and Dale wasn't. So when we finished watching my races, he said, let me show you how to win the Bush Clash. <laughs> wow. He, and he put his race in, and we watched
2: <laughs> wow. watched
4: him. But finally, Jack Roush called. He said, I'd like to talk to you about driving. And Jack said, I've got $4 million. I'm going to run two years on my money, and we're going to have Steve Mill, Robin Pemberton. Here's the deal. It's And he didn't say anything, and I didn't ask about what he was going to pay me when he finished Uh, telling me all that stuff. I said, well, I want to do it. We stood up, shook hands, and I about fell out. I mean, I honestly got dizzy. Most people don't get their first chance, much less a a second chance. My relationship with Jack was very, very difficult, uh, cold. He was very cold uh, for, for years, and he didn't treat me with respect he intimidated me and kept me down, you know, and I was scared of him and it took, it took years for that relationship, uh, you know, to, to, to really develop. Now we're blood brothers now. When did that
3: change then? About the time, when did that flip?
4: It started getting better in 93. Because I decided I wanted to leave. He never. They were smart. They never let me get closer to end a contract of three years. They did five-year contracts, and at the end of two years, they'd come back and tear that contract up and give me a new contract and give me a little bit more money. And I wasn't cold, cold cold-blooded like Matt Kisses was (laughs) cold-blooded. He he didn't re-up. He didn't take. But if they offered me, they would, it would always be after we won a few races and I'd be feeling good. They'd come in and say, Hey, we want to give you a new contract. It will give you more money. I said, hell yeah, I'll take a race, you know? So I always did it. So I never had the option to leave because I have too much integrity to just break a contract. Well, I say that I went to him in 93 and I said, I want, I want out. Mm. I want to leave. I went out of my contract. And we went round and round about it, and I hired a bad-to-the-bone lawyer because I was serious. I wasn't playing. I didn't want to race. I wanted to leave. Uh, I wanted more input on the cars than I, than I had, and I just wasn't happy. And Jack, Jack fought to keep me, and that was my first indication that he wanted me to drive his cars. And Steve Mill came to me and, and, and said, hey, I, I, I can get you a little raise. Won't you just stay? We're, we're running good. We can win races. Won't you just stay? And I'm like, hell yeah, that's what I really want to do. I don't have the balls to leave <laughs> anyway. Because, you know, I had a program where I could win races. I, I didn't know if I could recreate that or not right. anywhere else. The 28 came available two different times but I couldn't leave. I had contracts and everybody's like, why don't you go drive that car? And it's like, dude, I signed a piece of paper that said I would drive this car and they sold sponsorships based on that. I'm not, I, I can't just walk off. And so anyway, things got better. uh, That kind of leads us into the 93 thing after they decided that everybody decided they wanted me to stay. I'm like, well, we got to hang these bodies like I want them. The quarter panel height rule was 35, 36 max, and we had that. But the roof height, minimum roof height, was 50 and a half inches, and our our uh, roof heights were like 50 and uh, 51 and a quarter because Steve and Robin thought that Jack wanted a carburetor spacer on on the thing, and the hood would hit you. You couldn't fit an air cleaner on it if you dropped the roof anymore. Well, we're throwing away all that downforce, all that downforce. And I'm like sick of it. Like you hang the body first, then you put the motor in the car. That's how you do race. That's how you race. Well, come and find out. Once I told Jack that, he said, heck yeah, that's what you do.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, I'm about horsepower, but you hang the bodies first. You're throwing that downforce. So we started building cars <laughs> at 50 and a half inch. 50 and a half inch roof height. Well, we won four races in a row. Mm. You had so that's that's the story on, on the four races in a row.
0: You know, when I first started racing against uh, Mark in 1998 on a regular basis, he was driving the Win dixie car.
3: Oh, good grief. Did y'all, y'all were all running for second at that point then, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs>
0: um, he beat me. I, I got him a, a, a time or two. but <laughs> uh, did. The only reason is, is because I was able to follow you so much, but – um, he probably one, gave you a setup. <laughs> one of the things that stands out about me, about Mark Martin, is every morning, typically when we go to the Xfinity race, the cup cars ain't been on the track yet, but it's Friday morning or something like that, eight o'clock or whatever, and they put us out on the racetrack and it's bright, it's it's you know, you're still stretching. <laughs> and Mark Martin could go, we'd pull out on the racetrack and I'd always try to get behind Mark and try to follow him for a couple laps. And we would go down the straightaway, you know, getting yourself up to speed. And by the time you're going into one, you're going fast. And the tires are good, and everything's good. The track's cool. Mark would arc into the corner probably about uh, twice as much as he was going to do it in the race. And <laughs> dry, in those times, you carried the throttle down in the corner. For example, like Charlotte, you know, you were in the gas all the way down into the bottom of the corner. Okay, And... You know, it was, uh, he was going to put a lap down and that was going to be the lap that everybody else we could use as the standard for the day. You know, where does that come from? So I'm a guy that has to work, to s- I got to work my way up to it. I go out there and I'm going to run maybe, I don't you know, 80, 90%. And in, in the next two or three or four laps, I'll finally find that edge. And there's a lot of drivers that are like that. More, uh, I think True X is like that. But you can go out there and, lap one and run as fast as the car is capable of running. You know, where does that come from? Where, where is that? You've always had that ability and there's, it's a real, real quality. And I've always wanted to ask you about that.
4: So in 77, the first year I started racing on the, on pavement. Um, After I came home from new Smyrna and we got into the summer, I, I went to Wisconsin because you could race Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night and Sunday and and Sunday night. So you could race five nights a week, you know, five or six nights a week. And so you're, you practice on old tires and you put stickers on to qualify and you'd race your qualifying tires. And I'm talking about quarter, third and half mile racetracks and sticker tires were real slippery the first corner, first couple of corners. And so you'd leave the pits and, and, and you'd qualify on stickers. So you'd have to go. And so you'd leave the pits and go down to backstretch and go into three and four, and you would have to be super in tune so that you didn't crash. And the car would slip around and all that stuff, but you would gauge and measure your, your, your grip level right then and there, come and take the, the green flag. And then start laying a lap down, measuring how much grip that you had and predicting your grip. And I just developed, I developed my skill for maxing out based off of going down the back stretch and going into three and four. It, you know, just the first time. Yeah. And I just was really good at cinching quickly where the edge would be. And I was never good at anything other than driving race cars. And listen, you know, Dale, there's no better feeling than feeling like a badass. Yeah. And if you can roll out on the racetrack cold and lay down a lap with rooster tail behind you of (laughs) dust, because nobody's (laughs) been on the racetrack, and lay down a lap that makes everybody's head spin, you're pretty much a badass.
3: Yeah. That's for sure. I think that's what Dale was saying. Yeah, pretty much, yeah.
0: That was the most impressive thing. He did it every single time. Yeah. You knew it. You know, that... When I would show up to the racetrack, you know, when Mark wouldn't run, you know, we'd go and do our thing. And and we lived in this culture in the Xfinity Series. And then Mark would come to the Charlotte or some of the bigger races. And you knew immediately, got to get out on pit road. Got to be ready when Mark goes. Got to go out there and follow him (laughs) off into the corner and see what he does. And, you know, try to learn whatever you could. Yeah. And I learned. we learned so much. Would uh, you ever go talk to him? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, don't, I was you, you, pretty shy. Yeah, that's
3: That's why I'm asking. But if there was you more, were such it, an introvert. There
0: was no nobody more approachable in the garage than when Mark. it comes to drivers than Mark Martin. And yes. I learned that real early in my career. And he would tell you. He's like, anything you need to know. Any question you got, come see me. Come ask me. Any, He would always end the conversation with that. You ever need anything? Yeah. You know,
3: I think... I'd, I was going to say an underrated quality. I mean, like you are obviously a wheel man, but man, did you have everything I'm hearing is about how everything, everything you got was from relationships and you don't seem to have any enemies. And that's kind of rare for people that we've talked to on this show. They have a career full of enemies and a career full of confrontations. And they had to fight for everything. You were talking, I mean, how many times have we heard, well, I got that free and I got this free and then I had nothing. So I called (laughs) this guy and he gave me everything and built me a race car here. Mark, I mean, I think that your legacy may just as well from a racing standpoint be that you're a relationship guy.
4: Well, you know, it's true. You know, but I just really respect integrity Uh, uh, were really king with me. I learned respect. I learned to race with respect in '77 when I started racing with Dick Trickle and Bob Sinicker and those guys, and they taught me, you know, a, a driving code, uh, you know, a, a code of ethics that you drove with, and they were also friendly and would answer your questions. And I was always honored when people would ask me questions. I was always happy to help anybody that asked for help, uh, I would set up, uh, competitions cars and then race against them because I felt like, you know, my car was always going to be better anyway because it had m- so much more love, but yeah, I mean, I raced people the way I wanted to be raced and, and I, I enjoyed doing things, doing something that a lot of people couldn't do. Because I wasn't any good at anything else and it was kind of cool that like putting up that lap first lap of practice, not everybody could do that. So that was my thing. Uh, I loved doing that. I loved qualifying. I was a, a, a better qualifier than I was a racer. Uh, I loved qualifying because I loved not knowing for sure if I was going to make it or not pushing that hard you know, and shaking and having the shakes after the lap.
3: You did have shakes. You you were human. I had the shakes. He was human. I had.
4: Confirmed. Yes. (laughs) I would be, you know, the exhilaration of going out there and not knowing if you were going to make it or not was just the coolest thing ever.
0: Yeah. Another thing that I think he's remembered for and what I, what I appreciated and tried to emulate a little bit was his ability to scout and also tutor. Uh, young drivers you know you were always outspoken about uh talent when you thought you saw it uh, in some of the younger drivers in this in the Xfinity or the truck series and uh, often complimenting some of the younger drivers from those series more so than you know anyone else in the cup series and you were a tutor for a lot of guys you know you you're a mentor uh you know for guys like myself Matt Kenseth um, you talk about you know wanting Jamie over to over at Roush. I mean, you know, you were the first guy to really get everybody to to pay more attention to Logano, and and uh, there's just a list goes on and on about you know when Mark Martin would say that guy can do it, and everybody's like, all right, that, Mark, that, He must he must can do it because Mark Mark would know what he's looking at. You really enjoyed being a mentor though, being a tutor, or uh, you know, seeing some of these younger guys learn from some of the information you give them
4: like you uh dale i'm a huge fan of the sport and um i'm you know i really enjoyed trying to help and promote young talent it was exciting to see them come up Uh, you know i the deal with matt kinseth is i didn't know him and never met him I knew who he was because I knew he was winning races in Wisconsin and I knew what it took and I also knew he was winning races in multiple cars. Not just the car, one car, not just for Jerry Gunderman or whatever, but this car, that car, that car. That told me he knew how to set up cars. He knew cars. He didn't have a great crew chief that was doing everything, and he was just a great wheelman. He was cut from the same kind of fabric that I was. I knew this because I read it in the papers that, it, you know, this guy, Matt Kenseth was winning all these races in different cars up there. So when I met him at Talladega at the driver's meeting, that was it. I went straight to Jack and pulled him out of the trailer at Talladega. I said, you got hire this guy. I know you don't have any place for him, but you have to hire him now. Because if you don't, he'll get away. My claim to fame on that deal is Matt brought, Jack, his first cup championship. Mm, yeah. So something I wasn't able to deliver for him. So I'm proud of that. Just I just liked Matt. Matt was so much like me. You know, he was a humble guy. I knew he knew cars and he just was, he said the right things. And, and I knew it was, you know, I just knew it was right. Um, I saw Joey Logano at 11 years old. He was a little boy driving a legend car. Racing in the pro series against all men, grown men, and winning, and I knew right then he was going to be a cup champion. I mean, I knew it, and I I beat his drum as hard as I could, um, you know. All through, I had press conferences and stuff for you know everything I could do. I remember that. Uh, try tried to get him hooked with with uh, Jack Roush, and uh, they blew it. Jeff Smith and Jack treated, treated him with disrespect and eventually blew that deal. Uh, and they went and saw Joe Gibbs and Joe treated him, you know, with respect and they, they, that's history. But I knew Joey was going to be a cup champion when he was 11 years old.
0: Oh, I Mark, really Mark, want to ask about that. Mark, <laughs> Mark, Mark calls it like he's, he's uh,
3: you know, that I've always wanted to ask you a question. If if I didn't know if I would have the nerve to do it, because I don't know if it's awkward or not. But I'm going to do it, Mark. You don't have to answer, I guess. Uh, 2008, you were at DEI when Dale Jr. had left for Hendrick, and you were at DEI because of the merger with Gen Racing. Is that right? I mean, I've got that right? Yeah. Okay. Yes. I, I always remember, like, it was s- such a kind of a slippery time for us, being that. For the obvious reasons, we're leaving the family-owned company, right? And I remember Dell Jr., is as, as tactful and as, as appropriate as he could be, like it still would get portrayed in the media. Uh, his, you know, relationship with Teresa would be precarious. We'll call it that, right? Okay, See, so your face is starting to answer my question already, is it you were sort of, I remember that time as you sort of being stuck in the middle of it because you came to DEI, and I believe you were driving the eight car, were you not?
4: Well, what happened was there was a merger. Right. And 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 the old one car was awesome. I mean, we hauled the mail in that car, and Ryan Pemberton was the crew chief. And so the merger, it was still gonna be the old one car, it was gonna be a DEI, and Ryan Pemberton was gonna be the crew chief. Well, over you know, like in January, Ryan leaves. And when he leaves, I'm like Oh, dang, I don't, uh, that changes everything. You know, can I drive the eight car? And they let me, you know, they let me, they let, let me go over and drive the eight car with Tony Gibson and them. And, uh, that, 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 that pissed, uh, Regan off because Regan was slated for that. And, and I understand, but my seniority and my success you know, I, I, I had a bigger hammer, I guess. And I, so I was, I got the eight car because of Tony Gibson and all that. That's why I wanted the eight. I didn't initially wasn't interested in the eight. I was interested in staying with the team I was with. Right. So yes, I was kind of shoved in the middle of that. Um, and you know, there was a lot of controversy over the number and, you know, yeah, I, I had to say, it's a practice. The number stays with the owner. I, 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 I don't know. You know, I, I understand that Dale jr's numbers eight. I understand that, but it's Teresa's number. And if she don't want him to have it, how are you going to take it away from her? It's NASCAR history. That's how it goes in the history books. Sure. She would, have, she would have had to be okay. So yeah, I didn't ever feel like jr was ill at me. No, uh, no, not, no, 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 I, no, you know, but, but I was a little caught in the middle of it. Um, it was uncomfortable, you know, awkward. Well, yeah, yeah me, Mar- and,
0: me and you were put in those situations. Right? That, that's how yeah. I
3: remember it. But what I was always curious, and this was ultimately what I wanted to ask is what, you know, when he left DEI, that was sort of the end of any, you know, you know, insider information or, you know, feelings going on with inside that, those walls. I was always curious. What was the conversation? I remember he had Max Siegel, uh, you know, kind of in uh, in an ownership – not an ownership, but in, in a managerial place. He's kind of running the company. Um, you had some other Siegel people that were there. But what was the general feeling like after Dale had left and has now gone to Hendrick Motorsports? You are in morale. What, like, I, I imagine it was complicated.
4: It wasn't as complicated as, as you think. Now help me with this. Cause I'm having a senior moment. It was Max Siegel. And was there a story? It was his last name. John, story? John story. John, John story. story. Yep. So th- those were the two people that, that I dealt with on a day-to-day bi- basis and they were fantastic. Absolutely fantastic yep. to work with. And, uh, I never talked to, I, I, I ran the whole season, or drove the whole year. Uh, Eric and I shared the car and I, I took, talk, I talked to Teresa two times the whole season. So Teresa wasn't there. Wasn't, didn't have a presence there. Uh, she came to the Charlotte race one time. She was at that out at that race. We saw her there. And I think I talked to her once on the phone and that was it. Everything all hundred percent of my dealings were, were with uh story and Max Siegel and they were incredible, and the morale seemed to be really good. You know, Tony uh, Tony, Gibson. Tony Gibson. Oh, Tony is so fantastic, and he was so positive. And and the team was excited to have me drive their car. The guys, you know, they were really excited to have me, and it was a energy-filled, really charged-up atmosphere, and that car hauled the mail. I mean it was ridiculous how fast it was so pitiful we didn't win a race. We I run half throttle at Phoenix. We should have won Phoenix. We had I was so far gone and had them beat and we we're like 10 laps short uh according to Tony Gibson. And I'm telling Tony I can make it. I've saved you so much gas. It's pitiful. I never went past half throttle. I can lead it and and he pitted me because he wanted to make the owner's championship. He was, you know, he was worried about making the owner's championship. Yeah. And I wanted to win the race. And I'm positive that I had enough fuel to make it and we couldn't do it. And then, you know, we were so fast set on, I don't know, a whole, whole bunch of poles or uh, front rows. And I was at the, uh, the second time, uh, the first time was Charlotte and May. Uh, Rick Hendrick called me and he's asking me all these goofy questions about, well, how many, you know, what's it, what's this army thing, you know, sponsorship and I'd tell him about the army, but well, how many races you running in that eight car? And I'd like, I'm not, you know, friends. I'm not, we're acquaintances. I'm not buddies with Rick. Hendrick. Finally, I said, what is it? Rick, What are you asking? I mean, he's asking all these questions. What? He said, why well, I just put you in that five car. Wow. And I'm like, I'm like, dude, I'll drive that car for 24 race schedule, yeah. but I ain't run full time. So that was the end of that conversation. The next time we had hauled at Pocono, I think something incredible led to race and all that stuff. Had a bad pit stop or something and didn't win the race. And my phone ring, I'm at DEI for the competition meeting or whatever, hanging out and my phone rings and it's Rick Hendrick again. <laughs> want to drive a car. And I'm like, I step down the hall and I'm talking to Rick and I'm like, Rick, I, I'll run it for 24 races next year, but I won't drive full time. And, uh, and then the third time I could see the handwriting on the wall with the, uh, you know, it's, this isn't going to continue my super deal. I have is not going to be able to go forward. That was two years that I got to drive winning caliber race cars and teams and got to run 24 races. And and uh, Regan or Eric would, would could drive the other races. And uh, I could see that was going to dry up for me. And so the third time Rick calls, I just think, I- I'd just like to win one more time. Just, I, you know, I didn't give one flip anymore about a championship. I did not care. I was the happiest man on earth. I'd been miserable for 10 years in the six car, the last 10 years, because I was worried about points and trying to win a championship and frustrated. Finally, I was just racing for wins and for the joy of racing and working with a great team. And I didn't want to run full time, but I got to thinking, daydreaming about what it'd be like to win one more time. And so, I was in a good negotiating spot because it's the third time he called. So I made him a deal that I'd run full-time one year if he'd give me the 24 races the next two years. And, uh, well, he, he jumped right on it. And so that's how, that's how Oh nine.
0: And then he, then he figured out how to talk you into running full-time (laughs) again <laughs> rest, uh, rest of the contract i just assumed it was because like all right
3: i'll run full time if you could let me run that one race at vegas for junior motorsports and get them their first win I, is that not how the conversation went
2: <laughs> that's funny
4: <laughs> uh, you know the picture that flashes in my head was is yeah but uh Keselowski got taken out Now, i wouldn't oh, i didn't right. draw the first blood on that carl drew the first blood that wound up taking that's his last right. out, but yeah. Brad was really pissed about that. He was mad. And I didn't, I don't feel like I hit him. I got hit, <laughs> you know, I, I got hit and turned into him. Yeah.
3: This is uh, a lot but, about you. We're here talking about the win and you, you're still, you hung up on the, on what happened to Brad.
4: You won. Well, that. you Give brought, me. you brought up the race and anyway, yeah, yeah I got them the, the first win, but Brad was going to get them the first win had this accident not happened. Where you know Carl and I, I was
0: per- I was plenty okay with it because we were. It was Mark Martin, all right? Uh, and it was at Vegas, right? And, you know, it was all the great things. And you
3: knew that of all his Xfinity wins, but Brad was going to be part. You know what? Brad was
0: learning a very valuable lesson. That was really a good lesson. <laughs> hey, yeah, here is a lesson. This
3: won't be your last run in with Carl. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but to finish off
4: how Rick got me to do the the other two years full time instead of part time was we went to Phoenix right away, whatever that's early in the season, about five races in. And we sat on the pole and won the race. And we were really feeling good. And just a few weeks later, we go to Darlington and win that race. And I'm like, Hey Rick, uh, I'd like to sit down and meet with you. And we sit down and, and I said, you know, you said you want me here as long as I'll drive. And I'm willing to do, those other two years, you know, uh, I'm willing yeah. dude, we won, we won two races. ain't even half season yet. All I wanted to do is win one.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and
4: so, uh, I was living a dream at that point. I would come home from the shop every time I'd go to the shop, I'd come home and Arlene would say, geez, you're smiling so big. And I said, it's just like going to NASA. I mean, you won't believe it. I'd never been to a place, an organization like Hendrick Motorsports in 09. It was just like a dream for me. And I could go in and say, you know, I'm having this little hot spot on my my leg and like Roush's, I would have to engineer the fix for it. I'd have Mm. to come up with the fix and get the fix done myself dude, you could go in there and tell them I'm having this little issue. Their engineers had figured out and come with the fix for it and fix it for you. I mean, they did every, I mean, it was like heaven. And yeah. I know you, your experiences was the same way there, junior. It was, it was like heaven. And I was 50 years old, but dude, I was winning. I'd done one, two races. So it was, I was good with, with signing up. And I, I, I stayed too long. I shouldn't have, I should have, you know, I should have probably just stayed in 09. 10, we ran pretty good, but not real good. And then, you know, my performance uh, just really seemed to drop off after that.
0: Well, man, it was a awesome opportunity for me to be able to be in the same build with you and, and keep learning. I mean, it would like my career had come full circle in a sense to be able to learn from you so much in the Xfinity series in 98, 99. I mean, we were going to, me and Matt and all those guys were going to school every week that we got to race with you, and then to be able to be in the same shop with you and even see more about what makes you tick was a blast for me. You've been awesome to me my whole life, been so supportive of me uh, through my whole career. And so uh, that was a real pleasure for me to be in the shop with you, sharing the shop.
4: Well, it was good times, and you're such a re- respectable guy. Uh, y- you've done so much for the sport. On the racetrack and off the racetrack, your respect for the history of of NASCAR racing and racing itself is incredible, and we need that so much. And you're the guy that carries that banner for us and, you know, keeping the history alive of of, of our our racing and NASCAR sports. So thank
0: you. Well, tell me just real quick before we let you go. What are you, what are you doing these days? I know you got a new bus and you and your wife are riding around. Just what do you, what, what do you enjoy and what do you spend your time doing?
4: I'm lifting six days a week still. What? Um, <laughs> what? I, yeah, oh yeah. I, i am weigh in 125 pounds and I'm 61 <laughs> years old. And the other day I did sets, four sets of four reps of deadlifts with 240 pounds. So uh, I'm a little old man, but I'm still no, lifting hard.
3: Now, well, Mark, just real quick. I remember at Pocono, we were leaving after the race, and we're getting and, and you guys parked next to each other for in Pocono for a while, and we're trying to get on a golf cart, and we're going to go to the helipad or wherever we're going. And Mark Martin is changing. He takes his shirt off, and I swear to God, it was Hercules. I was like, my <laughs> God, look at Mark Martin. I couldn't stop staring. I mean, you just said,
4: <laughs> dude,
3: you're ripped. You're oh, so I. I
4: I lift, man. I lift hard. I love it. It's my addiction. And then I spend time in the shop. Like that's where I'm at right now. The shop. I'm. We we've been out on a motorhome trip, and I'm doing uh, all the polishing and detailing and cleaning and organizing. And I've got a couple of maintenance details to do. I keep all our cars uh, clean and stuff like that. And um, I just uh, I keep up up with you guys. I watch watch the races on TV and enjoy seeing uh, the incredible job you guys are doing on the on the uh, telecast and all that stuff and i'm a big race fan and i'm just loving life i really love not having a schedule to meet um and i love not having a job because i I, I work hard at at the things that i love me
0: you still have businesses though going on back in arkansas
4: i do my partner lance landers uh is hands-on uh, partner and uh runs the dealerships and take care of all that stuff and so you know it's worry free from my end uh you know for those for those dealerships. We still have the museum there in Batesville. You know, I had three one million dollar paydays in my career which were pretty special. All three of those cars are on display there. I think that's pretty cool.
0: That is pretty cool,
3: buddy. that is neat. Deal us the go to social media follow. He's a great who social media follower. For sure. You're still the guy.
0: Well, man, I hope we'll run into you sometime. It'd be nice to see you. And uh, until then, uh, we'll be keeping up with you and and hope you take care of yourself. I really, really appreciate you making time to come on this show. I mean, me and Mike are obviously excited to be able to listen to you, learn from you. But our listeners are just going to eat this up. Remember, everybody who's listening, Mark's got his own podcast. He does his podcast by year throughout his career. If you want to know anything about his career pretty simple to understand uh where you need to go to learn what you want to learn i I'd, I'd suggest listening to all of it uh like he said he's he's uh he's been up and down the ladder quite a few times and uh and there's a lot to learn there but thank you mark martin we appreciate you buddy
4: thank you it's an honor to be on your show yes sir mm-hmm.
0: With the Lost Speedway's launch on Peacock TV this week, we've got an odd history about a Lost Speedway that we figured we'd share with you all. Some tracks are lost to build housing developments. Some, they've become shopping centers or strip malls. But Gainesville Speedway in North Georgia, it closed for a very different reason. It was closed to build a lake. The Half Mile Dirt Track, which was originally known as Looper Speedway, It opened in 1949, held weekly sportsmen and modified races. Max Looper, who the track was named for, Frank Perkle, and former Georgia racing star Gober Sosby. Number 51. They operated the track. Sosby actually won the first feature there. Drivers like the famous Flock Brothers, Charlie Mincy, and Jack Smith all raced there. Sarah Christian, the first woman to finish in the top five in a cup race, won some races at Looper. The track held its final race in November of 1956. At that point, construction was completed on the Buford Dam that stretched across the Chattahoochee River and completely flooded the track with the newly created Lake Lanier. From time to time during the summer months, the remains of the top rows of concrete bleachers are exposed and can be seen on the shoreline. Most of Looper Speedway sits under the lake, beneath the muddy red clay surface, lost to Lake Lanier. All right, boys, let's get your scuba gear ready. <laughs> get your underwater cameras. Season
2: <laughs> <told you> <laughs> Don't think. Don't. That's awesome.
3: I'm looking <laughs> at Micah right now, and his eyes are like lit up. They're like, I'm
0: like he can already. He, we're adding adding Looper Speedway to the list. All right. All right, guys. Yeah. Awesome. Y'all ready for some uh, last call or no? Come on. <laughs>
2: Last call.
0: All right, last call. Happy 90th birthday to Martha Earnhardt. All right. Happy birthday, Martha. Happy birthday. Um, Lost Speedways, our Peacock uh, TV special, it launches this Wednesday, July the 15th. We've been doing a lot of media lately and uh, trying to promote Lost Speedways. Uh, We've been showing a lot of stuff on social media I'm absolutely going to probably rewatch every episode.
3: Oh yeah. yeah.
0: And uh, I'll be just kind of combing social media to get reaction, you know, and seeing what people will think about the show. Certainly probably calling my bosses at NBC for their feedback and, and what 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 fans are telling them. Door bumper clear, guest Bernard Pollard, NFL player and new NASCAR fan. I heard he was pretty good, Mike.
3: Yeah, I did too. That's yep. awesome.
0: The guys really seem to enjoy having him on. The guys yeah. uh, go off on Kentucky. Uh, and about the lights under the cars for the All-Star, I wonder what their debate I know, right? sounded like compared to ours. When are we ever going to do a show together? We ought to. Jesus. And just Let's really just debate. I mean, I, I think that's, that's what they do. I love that. I want to debate. Right. Listen, We'll, we'll work on that. All right. Matthew, we got to do yeah. that. All right, the TV show this week, the uh, Dale Jr. Download, is a re-air of the Mark Martin episode. Mark was extremely thrilled to be on the show. It, you know, He seemed to enjoy the reaction that he got from it, and uh, it was one of the best shows, best guests we've had in a long time. Uh, the show is on Wednesdays at 6 p.m. NBCSN. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, hope you guys enjoyed the Dale Jr. Download, episode 306. Hold
3: on, we got one more thing for you. You know oh. how we like getting gifts.
0: Let's close out strong.
3: I know. We got, we got gifts. We got a gift this week. You got a gift this week. I don't know if you're still collecting football helmets, but we got another one. Holy cow. My buddy, Stuart Carter, who is the equipment manager at Penn State, sent you a Penn State football helmet. And I'm going to tell you something. Take a look at this thing.
0: This thing is right. (laughs) I know.
3: And I hope that Penn State and all the other college football teams get to play this year. Yeah. Um, But uh, anyways, you know we like our gifts. And uh, Dale Jr., there you go. There's another helmet for the collection. Well,
0: that is – That's a good one. Yeah. Thank you, Stuart. Thank you, Stuart. We appreciate it. We are all, we're still collecting helmets. I have probably um, about 100 helmets, probably 80 college and 20 NFL. Wow.
3: And of the 20 NFL, 19 are Redskins.
0: Well, I have. I guess we shouldn't say that, should we? I don't know. I don't know when (laughs) we have to to stop saying that. I don't know.
3: Do you have to take your helmets down? What do you do anymore? I don't know.
0: That is a great question. I've been sort of boxing up a lot of stuff. Yeah. And uh, I'm just eager for the new. You know that when that new jersey and helmet comes out, oh, it's going to fall off the shelf. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
3: you'll be getting that.
0: I'm definitely getting that. So um, I'll put all those stuff away and, and put it in storage, and that's that.
3: There you go. New chapter. Maybe we put that, I don't know, maybe, that,
0: maybe that's a I'm new studio piece. Oh, you're taking it home. Yeah. All right. I have a collection, Mike. You do. Yeah. I know, but some of them are in here already. <laughs> like you took That is not true. There's no, that's yours. Yeah, that's your helmet, Mike. That's, that's your Alabama. helmet out of your <laughs> That's Mike's right. like, oh, that wait. That is my helmet. Oh, I'll take it, though. I'll take it home. <laughs> no, no, no. You stay away from my helmet. <laughs> good point. All right. Take it easy. <laughs> Have a good week. Check out Dirty Mo Media on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Dirty Mo.